It's been a discussion for several years, and it's finally coming to fruition July 1st, 2024. The National Registry of Emergency Medical Technicians, the NREMT, is no longer requiring ALS psychomotor exams. That's right. No more psychomotor tests they for paramedic or AMT students. No more ALS psychomotor exams. What once was a dreaded day is no more. Welcome to Profess EMS, the podcast dedicated to educating, training, mentoring, and inspiring EMS educators and providers alike. Whether you're looking to grow as an educator or prosper as a provider, sit back, open those neural pathways, and let's get to it. Hey everybody, and welcome back to episode three. This episode is brought to you by Master Your Medics. Outside of my role as education manager for Master Your Medics, I still work in the field as a provider and educator. And all these thoughts, ideals, and statements do not necessarily represent those of my affiliations. So let's get into the sunsetting of the National Registry psychomotor testing at the ALS level, which as I said before, is the sunset. June 30th, 2024. So July 1 of this year, no more ALS psychomotor exams. To say this is a debatable topic is a complete understatement. Recently, I've been part of numerous discussions regarding this change and some are jumping for joy and enthusiastically yelling, finally, both students and educators alike. And yet there are some that are ridding their pitchforks and their torches and are out for vengeance. Now, I've spent the last 10, almost 11 years being involved in EMS education in capacities such as an adjunct professor, guest speaker, program director, um, multiple affiliations through multiple education entities before coming to Master Medics. The progress that has been made in EMS education undoubtedly in the last decade has been amazing. And that is all thanks to standardization by accreditation. Yes, when I was a program director, accreditation was simply a pain. And in all honesty, at the beginning, I didn't really see or understand the need or the requirements for it. But as time went on and began to kind of get a broader scope and a bigger understanding of what was happening instead of just single institution of really the broad picture of what was going on in EMS education, it made a lot more sense. All right, so by accreditation, accreditation that deals with paramedic programs is the Commission on Accreditation of Allied Health Education Programs, better known in the industry as KHEP. Also is the Committee on Accreditation of EMS Programs, better known as COAMPS or COA. So KHEP is the the oversight, the the accrediting body of paramedic programs. COAMPS, their job is to provide services to programs to obtain and sustain that KHEP accreditation, which is required by the NREMT to obtain your certification. And beginning in 2025, it's also going to be required that your program be accredited to offer advanced EMT programs. But 
that's a topic for a whole nother day. Let's talk about how we got to this point. January 1st, 2013, NREMT began requiring that paramedic students to be eligible to test for their paramedic exam were to complete a KHEP accredited program. Now, what this means. So, if you're not familiar with accreditation, let's head into a little bit more. So, that accreditation holds essentially the feet of the program to the proverbial fire. That the program must meet certain benchmarks and just can't, you know, offer a program with terrible pass rates without really any type of standardization or really any other major oversight. Okay, every other college program is accredited. So, you know, an overall college has their own accreditation and then multiple other programs within that college have their own accreditation. Okay, so you can't just open an institution and start handing out degrees and you know, advanced certificates without some type of accreditation. So all other professional careers are kind of following suit. Okay, so in that January 1st, 2013, that was when the ticker went up and said, hey, if you're going to become a paramedic, you got to complete a KHEP accredited program. So within that accreditation, as I said, holding that the feet to the proverbial fire is certain thresholds and assessments. Okay, so programs must maintain a certain overall pass rate, a certain overall attrition rate. They must submit curriculum for approval. They must have plans and documents in place of how they're going to track all their competencies, how many competencies are required, such as, you know, how many medications a student has to give, how many interventions they must do, how many patient contacts, every little nook and cranny of what a paramedic student is required to do is checked off and approved by accreditation. So everything that a paramedic student is going to do is overseen and approved by that accrediting body of KHEP. Um, another thing is formerly known as Appendix G, which has later become the student minimum competency matrix. That is the evaluation of those psychomotor skills and throughout their progressions. Okay, so that measures how many psychomotor evaluations they must perform how many must be performed and evaluated by peers, by instructors, by medical directors, by, you know, lead instructors, which also to be a lead instructor, you must be approved by the accrediting body as well. Okay, so that Appendix G, the student minimum competency matrix, that's really come into play to say, hey, here's all those competencies you need to do. Where traditionally paramedics were tested on, there was an IV station, an airway station, a medication administration station. You know, all these little single competencies were separate evaluations at the end of the program. But what accreditation was requiring was to see that there was a progression of those competencies going through, that the programs were tracking, you know, even success rates of those, such as, you know, first attempt success rates of IVs, of intubations, whether that was done in high fidelity simulation or whether that's, you know, it can be done on a live patient or vice versa. Okay, so all of these skills are required to be tracked throughout the program and evaluated by accreditation approved lead instructors. Okay, so and to be that lead instructor, you have to have 
uh, submit proof of your education, all your certificates, all your accolades for them to be able to say, yes, you are deemed a lead instructor of this program and you can do X amount of things. Okay, and it also puts into place an extensive involvement by the medical director of the program, just like agencies have their own medical director. Each education program must have a medical director and that medical director is responsible for oversight and approval of, you know, the overall curriculum and the competencies and what's relatable to their, their local regions and areas and whatnot. And they have to go and evaluate the high stakes exams. So there's an extensive checks and balance system that's been put in place by accreditation. So now we're going to fast forward to January 1st, 2017. So four years later, after the initial accreditation requirement went into place, they saw that um, accreditation and national registry and all the other entities involved saw how the competencies were being tracked and how they were being done. And they were seeing progression of the students. So they decided to change overall psychomotor tests that was required at the end for national registry certification. It went away from all these standalone traditional stations of, you know, IV skills, medication administration, innovation, superglottic airway, you know, backboarding, your know, random BLS skills, all those little single intricate stations and put it into one large scale scenario based psychomotor exam called the out of hospital scenario. That is a 20 minute scenario to where the patient, I'm sorry, the student has a paramedic partner and they have a live or a and a moulage patient, and they must go through everything from receiving a dispatch to going through, you know, all assessments, all interventions, and, you know, having IV arms or mannequins and really doing the skills, not just talking through, like legitimately running in a, an entire scenario, going from dispatch to handoff reports, radio and reports, everything, a full scenario done over a span of 20 minutes. So that kind of encompassed all those little single skills were now put into one scenario to apply everything. Uh, some of the traditional stations were kept, including trauma, the static and dynamic cardiology stations, and the oral stations. Okay, then we move on to the infamous COVID era. Okay, so within this period, since you know a lot of the programs we couldn't be face to face. Um, it, it faced a lot of hurdles for a lot of programs and throughout the middle of COVID is when I was still working as a program director. And that meant our students couldn't come to class. We're having to do things virtual accreditation was doing things of how we still had to do competencies, but how those could be tracked. So students were able to do clinical things, create, you know, online engaged environments and a variety of things to test certain competencies. Okay. But the National Registry put into place a thing called a provisional certification. That meant that if you completed the program and all the requirements, and if you had to make changes to the curriculum, that accreditation had to approve those too. If you had to, you know, supplement different methods of evaluation of those competencies, accreditation approved that. So it went to provisional cert certifications, meaning you completed the program, you could go and take the written exam 
And since we couldn't get face to face for the psych motor exam, you would have a provisional certification and you could begin working as a paramedic that the states, um, most of the states that were on board would say, Hey, we'll accept your provisional certification. We'll deem you a, give you a temporary, you know, 60, 90, 120 day certification until we figure out what's going to happen with COVID. Okay. So there again, we were having paramedics out in the field for a span of a you know, year and a half or so who had never taken a psych and motor exam, who weren't, you know, doing as much stuff within the classroom, but were still finding ways, um, you know, throughout higher education to evaluate competencies of these students. Okay. So breaking down what psychomotor pass rates meant without these changes. Okay. So in 2014, generally with the first year, it was evaluated for psychomotor testing under accreditation. National average, 94%. The next year, 95%. And we saw an incline in pass rates up until 2017, which is when that scenario out of hospital based, um, I'm sorry, the out of hospital scenario went into play and it dropped back down to 94%. And then we saw a climb go back up again and progressing each year to have an overall average of 95%. So the last year that we were of 2022, the last year it has results out at this point for overall had a 98% pass rate of psychomotor exams on paramedic students. So obviously it's seeing that the psychomotor evaluations, the competencies being done within the program were working because once they got to their evaluation points, 98% of the time they were passing. Okay, and that's of those standard scenarios, again, of the out-of-hospital scenario with the trauma, the cardiac stations, and those oral stations. So in my opinion, this has been a long time coming because accreditation and you know all the other entities that are involved with paramedic education, writing you know, standardized guidelines throughout the National Registry, you know, and this isn't just willy nilly like, ah, yeah, we're tired of doing this. Let's just go ahead and throw it out. It's a waste of time. This is stuff that's been researched and analyzed much heavier than just simply looking as the data that I presented of a 90% pass rate. These are things that have you know been analyzed from the national level through, you know, skills and competencies and how effective these providers are actually doing, giving the psychomotor evaluations that they've been handed down and the way that competencies are being tracked in a progressive fashion throughout the program. Okay, this brings us right along with the education of other healthcare professions. Okay, so for example, there are multiple places that accredit nursing programs and you know PA programs, med school programs, and None of those have a standard one set thing at the end. Say, here's your test. It's one day. Get through this testing for a couple hours. And yep, that's good enough to be, you know, a healthcare professional. So this puts us right in place. It's showing that the education that we're doing is becoming standardized, that it is a lot more structured than it used to just be, that anybody could go and open up a paramedic program and allow them to go and give testing just because they felt out plenty of paperwork. It is a very intricate process. It requires an immense amount of work on the administrative side. Okay. And another thing this is really going to help with is 
you know, alleviates a lot of financial and logistical burdens on those education programs. To run a psychomotor test is an immense amount of logistics. For example, to be a test proctor in certain stations, you have to have certain certifications of, um, you know, instructor status, like to test the cardiology stations. You must be an ACLS instructor or be like an ICU nurse to be able to proctor that station. So finding those people can be a logistical nightmare. Plus bringing the people in, you know, these people aren't coming in to volunteer anymore. I think we're all aware of, you know, where volunteerism is in emergency services anymore. It's pretty well non-existent. So you have all these people that now we have to pay. Now they're there for all day. And of course we can't have EMS people there without feeding them. So now we've got to feed all these people and, you know, orchestrate all this and work around people's schedules. And, you know, for the sake that we're bringing students in, we're taking them away from the work field. We're bringing in other evaluators that, you know, we know that a lot of people in EMS don't have a lot of free time. So trying to find EMS people with free time is hard. Plus, you know, overall the finances, I know in the program that we would run, you know, we were looking at, you know, to be testing, you know, 30, 35 students. It was, you know, costing us a few thousand dollars to be able to run that, uh, you know, to be able to run that testing. And so, you know, it's just, it's been a very long time coming that accreditation has been working the way that we're doing competencies within the classroom. It's not death by PowerPoint anymore. They're coming in, they're being very much engaged because accreditation requires it. There's all these additional programs out now to be assisting instructors. Instructors are having to renew their certifications and, you know, accreditation is now requiring that the program directors have a minimum of a bachelor's degree, which as of recently, I believe it was last year, 100% of program directors have a bachelor's degree. And now they're pushing towards making program directors have a requirement of a master's degree. So they're wanting these people running programs to have a high knowledge of education overall, not just field experience, but be well-rounded and well-educated to be able to run an educational program. Okay, so it's been many little things have been put into place for a long time to get us to this point. I can assure you that um, multiple things I've been involved with, all the education and the accreditation conferences I've went to over the past, you know, 10, 11 years, it's been a long time coming. There's been an immense amount of work done behind the scenes to get us to this point. All right, so let's go into some frequently asked questions of topics and discussions I've heard regarding doing away with psych motor exams. So get that infamous, well, can't the old buddy system just happen saying, Hey, uh, you know, since we're not the test, I got my buddy over here. He can just go and sign his name to something and make it happen. No, that doesn't happen. It's not that way anymore. There's so many elaborate checks and balances throughout accreditation. You know, there's the paramedic portfolio where each student has to have all their own things separate. And those, you know, audits from accreditation can happen at any time, if a file's out of sorts and accreditation finds out that this process has been pencil whipped for people, or you know, there is no proof or documentation or tracking of all these things, guess what? There's going to be no more program there. Um, becoming a paramedic without testing skills? No, 
As I elaborated before, there is the student minimum competency matrix showing that, hey, there's all these competencies that students need to be evaluated on far more in depth than what the psychomotor testing was evaluated. We're talking, you know, skills and tracking on every age group, how many contacts of each age group that you would need, um, different types of evaluation. So, you know, how many dysrhythmias that you saw, how many, you know, acute, acute coronary syndromes, how many unresponsive patients, overdoses, way more things than what in the past we were being evaluated on. Simply put, you could run a program, you know, we date back to the early 2000s and not to go against anybody listening to this who became a paramedic and you know, before accreditation was a thing, still very much a legitimate paramedic, but you can probably imagine the type of paperwork you're seeing students having to bring to the clinical sites now to be filled out, the type of evaluations, the type of feedback you have to give to them. Uh, if you're involved with any of the local programs, having to go to their um, advisory committee meetings, having to do their preceptor training, it's very much more in-depth than it once was. Okay, so, you know, before we're, we're worried about the psychomotor testing, it's very much, you know, 0.01% evaluation of really what's being taught. Okay, so they look at those skills as deemed of the uh, proverbial entry-level paramedic. And so that's what all these competencies throughout the program are being evaluated on. And that's where that student minimum competency matrix kicks into play. That you've done all these skills and all these evaluations and all these competencies in different environments into different demographics of patients. Okay, so what other processes are happening? Well, now the cognitive exam for National Registry is now going more in depth. A lot of you probably understood that here within you know, the past few months or within the past year that National Registry has changed the way that they are evaluating their cognitive exam. So now the exam is more in-depth. There's multi-answer responses. There's these broad work-through scenarios that are now on the registry exam. Okay, so they've tried to enable, you know, certain types of competencies that were being evaluated at that psychomotor level, such as like oral stations and whatnot. And that's now being put into the written exam format. So where do we go from here? One, get involved in your local paramedic programs. So if you are a preceptor, get involved, try to go be part of the advisory committees of your local paramedic programs. Um, at the agency level, field training programs are imperative. We must ensure rather than assume, okay? EMS education is still based on common practices, evidence-based medicine, and national consensus and standards. The programs are not taught to a local protocol. So we need to be sure at the agency level that our, you know, recent graduates, our brand new ALS providers are familiar with the equipment that they're going to use at the agency that they're familiar with the various medications and appropriate dosing that may be utilized. You know, maybe the medications being used in the agency are new and maybe they're unique to your agency more so than what's taught as a national consensus or making sure that they understand that, you know, for example, if it was pouted into their head, maybe a bad example, but the use of lidocaine and then your agency doesn't carry lidocaine, you only use amiodarone, or whatever the scenario be, may be, ensuring that the 
students, the recent graduates, your new employees, know what is specific to your agency and to your location. Same as we would if we got a, you know, a new employee that just moved from several states away and came to an agency and everything's brand new to them. We need to ensure rather than assume, because I think we all know what assuming means, right? Okay. Um, get your medical director involved. Just as they're involved with those agencies, those medical directors should be involved at the agency level and, you know, kind of give you the checks and balance too on what your field training programs are. Um, and overall, get that agency involved with that local program, whether it's, you know, taking some of your, your training officers there or people who are more commonly your preceptors, let them kind of be that middleman between the local program and the agency so that the agency can help the growth of the program and the program can help the growth of the agency. So overall, I'm very excited that the National Registry has gone away from ALS psychomotor exams. It was two points becoming such a very mundane task, adding extra stressors onto the students, such a logistical and financial nightmare on a lot of programs to be able to orchestrate the exam. Um, it, it's, it's very great. It's helping EMS grow. We're moving right along the lines of every other professional health career. So 10 out of 10, completely recommended, very excited. Um, so advocating for those programs, accreditation, standardization, we've come a long ways in this last 10 years, and I can't wait to see where we go in the next 10 years. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Stay safe. Never stop learning.